And as the band continues to play, we're going to transition to something uh, a little different uh, for today. Uh, last week, we finished up our vision series of what we feel like the plan that God has for us moving forward. And uh, I think it's just a very, very obvious transition from that. It's amazing how God works those things out. Uh, but just an obvious transition to this new series. And so I recognize that sharing our story may be difficult. Uh, the idea of letting people in, the idea of using our story, our past, our failures, our those sorts of things, uh, I recognize that to be difficult. And so what I want to do is I want us to approach this series in the right heart in the right heart with our yes on the table. And so I'm going to spend some time right now uh, in, in prayer here at this altar. And I would invite any one of you that would like to join me. Uh, I will, we'll have a silent time of prayer as, as the music plays, and then I will close this out. Um, but I just want to give us the opportunity to align our hearts with where God is so that we can hear the message that he has for us today and how we are called by his, as his people to respond to that. And so we're just going to have a time of prayer and I would invite you to join me and then we'll continue on with our service. so that you would enlist us, Lord, and that we would see life transformation happen, Lord, in others. God, we thank you for making us a part of your story. And now, Father, as we seek to leverage your, our story, God, toward kingdom purposes, we pray that you would receive all glory, honor, and praise for it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for what you're going to do through this series and beyond. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. All right. 
All right. I want to welcome everybody in again. Uh, if you are joining us here in person or online, uh, man, we are so thankful that you chose Lindsay Lane North to be your place of worship today. And so we, we celebrate that. And we got a lot of things uh, that are getting started. I made mention uh, just a few minutes ago of the vision where we're headed as a church, a vision for toward discipleship and those sorts of things. And I want to remind you, if you are wanting to be a part of the men's and women's study uh, that is going on, that's, that's starting this week. So uh, ladies, you will meet next Sunday night at Kathy Gentry's house. We've got the address, all that kind of good stuff at Next Steps if you would like it. But in order to participate, we need you through the first week. So that means you need to get the book today. We have copies. would love to get those into your hands if you want to participate in that women's study. Men, we will start the next week. So we will meet two weeks from tonight, and uh, we will be in ours, and we will, so you will need to have your books. If you're wanting to participate in that, my wife and I are leading the study. She's leading it for the ladies. I'm leading it for the men, um, but we will meet at uh, Conrad Bonner's house uh, there in Ardmore, and I mean, I am so excited about what God's going to do through that. So if you have not purchased your book, uh, ladies, you have to have them, you need to have them purchased by today. Um, of course, you can jump in midstream if you'd like. Um, there's plenty of time to catch up and all that kind of stuff because of the way that we're doing it. Um, but uh, guys, you can, next week will be when you need to go ahead and start yours, okay? Does that make sense? So day one starts Monday for you ladies and then next Monday for us guys uh, as we meet about that, all right? So, but we are excited about that and I'm excited about this new series. This is a combo series. So a couple of years ago, we decided that the best way for us to onload our groups was to begin uh, every semester with a series that coincided with our small groups. And so for our home groups, they start this week as well. And so uh, this is our first official week of home groups. So if you are um, plugged into a home group, great. If you're not, you can see next steps to sign up for one. Uh, they will start, I think we have groups that meet Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, and so we would love to have you participate in those as well. But as we track what we are tracking on Sundays, we will also be tracking that in our home group studies. And so we, this, this is my story, is the series that we will be in, and we will be tracking it at every level. Uh, and so we are really, really excited about that. I'll be doing, presenting some testimonies from God's Word, some case studies, character studies from God's Word of people's encounter with God and how they were changed and how they changed the world as a result of that encounter. And then we'll be encouraging you to do the same. And so we'll be talking through our testimonies in our home group and, and how God has used us. And listen, like I said, I understand some of what I'm asking. And so I want us to approach this, right, with our yes on the table. God has called us to respond in obedience to him. The one that has allowed us to pass, right, from death to life has enlisted us as his plan A to reach the world with the gospel of Christ. And there is no plan B. We're it, right? And so God has allowed us and called us alongside him as he works. 
and we get the opportunity, but it is the responsibility for us as a church to share our testimonies, our story of how our story connects with God's big story of redemption and how he can make a difference in the life of others. But turning your Bibles to John chapter 4. So we're going to have this combo series. I'll be sharing from God's word, but we will also be hearing from some of our people, some of the testimonies of some of our people that come from all different walks of life. I used to think as I would watch the I Am Second videos as a youth pastor, and somebody would go on for five minutes about their life before Christ and how bad it was and how terrible it was, and I would think, man, I I don't really have that story. My, my story doesn't look like that, right? Y'all, you know, the, the, the phrase that I'm tagged with, right? The, the crack smoking atheist. I don't have that in my background, right? I don't, I, I, I've never experienced that, but some in this room may have, right? And God wants to use every story and any story to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. And so, yeah, we use God's word and we utilize that, but we also are sharing our story. We'll see today the testimony of a woman who had a very simple testimony, but yet her entire town, the entire community that she lived in was exposed to the Messiah, exposed to Jesus as a result of her testimony to bring others to Jesus. And each week we will follow a similar pattern. We'll see the encounter, we'll see an engagement, and then we'll see an effect that people encounter God, they are engaged by God, and they had, because of that engagement, because of that encounter, there is profound effects in their life. And so what we find here, and this is my story, we find the story of the woman at the well. John chapter 4, we find the familiar text on the woman at the well. Every one of us have a testimony, and how does God desire to use it for his glory is the question. So beginning in verse 3 in John chapter 4, let's look at the encounter. The encounter. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town, a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. This provides context. Jacob's well is not referenced anywhere in Scripture, but here. It was a sign that that is where Jacob would have been and inhabited. He, in order to live in that day, there had to be a water source, right? And so Jacob had dug this well that had provided water for him and his family, and it had been for generations in this region. Um, and so, and so we, we hear mention of this of this well. But listen to this: it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. The word there, had, like it was imperative that he passed through Samaria. And when you study biblical times, you recognize that this is physically just not the case. Jesus did not have to travel through Samaria because there was no alternate route to get to Galilee. That's not why he did it, right? There was actually, in fact, the people of Israel the Jews actually had a very intentional path worn out 
outside of Samaria, going around Samaria to get back to Galilee because no one, no Jew wanted to be caught dead in Samaria. They were the enemies of God. They were half-breeds of the promise of God. They didn't belong and they didn't fit in. Racism is not a new thing, right? And they would literally wear a path around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to interact with the people. And so it was simply untrue physically, geographically, for the Bible to say that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. In fact, as a Jew, it would be very unpopular to go through Samaria. You go around because we don't want anything to do with those folks. What he's detailing there is not a physical imperative. It's a spiritual imperative. Jesus had an appointment. Jesus had something that needed to happen. He had a conversation and an encounter that needed to take place in Samaria. He says that it's in the sixth hour. This was noontime. This is 12 o'clock noon. That Jesus was there at the well. This is important because this is a very curious time to come to a well. A well was something that was, that was dug and created and the people would travel sometimes far distances in order to get a water supply sufficient for the day or the next couple of days. And so they would go early in the morning and they would get their water supply and then they would come back and they would use that water throughout their day as they needed so for Jesus to show up at noontime, he would be there alone. And here comes a woman. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus blew through the cultural barrier of talking to a Samaritan. In fact, there was tradition of the elders that stated that for you to touch an object that a Samaritan had last touched made you unclean, that you could not worship until you had washed yourself ceremonially because this was a, a Samaritan had touched the object that you had last, right? There was all these laws that were put into place, right? And but Jesus blows past this. He, he blows past this and begins a conversation with this Samaritan. And it's not just a Samaritan. It is a Samaritan woman. And if you were going to talk to anyone in that day for a teacher, a rabbi to speak to anyone, he would not speak to a woman. He would speak to the men, and the men were to relay the message to the women, right? But Jesus blows past this barrier as well. He blows past this barrier because there is something that is going on in the heart of this woman. There is something that God is up to that Jesus understands, is sensitive to, that knows about to such an extent that he had to go through Samaria. Jesus answered her. He asked her for a drink, right? The woman is shocked, is amazed. Later, you'll see the disciples are shocked and amazed that Jesus is blowing past these cultural nuances. But listen what it says in verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, 
and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Right? Where, what spring, every bottle of water that we've ever drunk, right? We have imagined in our mind some magical spring somewhere, the Aquafina spring or the Deer's Park spring. By the way, don't read where these things are manufactured. You will be let down. We picture this magical bubbling brook or spring that the freshest of water is bottled and sealed and sent to us, right? She's asking, where is this living water that you're talking about? Where is this living water springs that I can bottle and I can take back to my family? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Verse 12, the answer for all of us with a New Testament perspective would be, you bet your sweet Beppy I am, right? Yes, I'm greater than the father Jacob, but, he, he, but she continues. He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. You almost see him pointing into the well. Anyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. This magical spring, right? Welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, very obvious thought, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Hey, if you got some some water that I don't know about, that I can drink and never be thirsty again, I am tired of wearing out my shoes. I'm tired of the looks and the glances I get from everybody in the community. Like, I'm tired of all that. If you can give me water and I never have to come here again, deal, big boy, give it to me right? That's what she's telling Jesus, unaware of who she's talking to. And the reason is this woman had a need. She had a fundamental need, food, clothing, shelter, water. She had a fundamental need, physical need for water. And so Jesus was willing to meet this need. But it wasn't a physical need that she was after. Yes, that was the, that was the obvious, right? The presenting need. The woman's thirsty. The, the woman's family needs water. But Jesus begins in this encounter to change the conversation entirely. This woman had a need that produced a curiosity. Jesus explained to her a source of water that would not be outside of her, but a source of water that could reside within her, that would replenish her without fail for the rest of her life. This was the encounter. This was the encounter, initial encounter with this man, with this woman, of Jesus with this woman. And from here... It seems rather mundane, but look at the engagement. The engagement now of this woman by Jesus in conversation. Look at verse 16. And Jesus said to her, "Uh uh-oh, 
go and call your husband and both of y'all come here. Go call your husband, get him, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. So Jesus said to her, you're right. You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the man that you are with now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And perhaps the funniest response in all of Scripture, as the woman picks her jaw up off the ground from this random stranger that has just been all up in her Kool-Aid, right? She looks at him and says, ashamedly, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> you know, everybody in Sychar knows my business. Everybody that I've ever been around, I've ever been with, they understand my past... I perceive you are a prophet. Why was the woman coming in the middle of the day? Well, as I said before, the, the common custom would be for the women to go and go together in a group, right? To their strength in numbers. So the women would all go together and make sure everybody stayed safe. And they, right, they, they go everywhere together, herd mentality. If you're going to go to the bathroom together, like they'll, they'd make sense, they'll go to the well together, right? So they go, to the, they go to the well together. They would all get water for the day, and then they'd all come back at the beginning of the day. So the fact that it's the sixth hour, it's noontime, and this woman is there, she is literally there to avoid that crowd. She is there to stay away from him. Why? Because this woman has some latent shame in her life. She has a past and everyone knows it and she is tired of the judgment. She is tired of the people, of the glares, of the glances. She's tired of all that. So in an effort to avoid her problems, she comes at 12, finds a random stranger who all of a sudden now knows miraculously all the things that she's trying to avoid. Can you imagine the frustration? She had a past, and Jesus immediately spoke to her past. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So, what do we do when conversations begin to take a turn we don't care for them to go in? You bet you do. Change that subject, right? We got to figure out a way to derail this conversation and get on another rail headed some other direction. So what do you do to a prophet? You engage them in religion. You engage them in a religious debate. Listen what she says. Our fathers, in verse 20, worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. He's saying, listen, Mount Gerizim was the mountain that she was probably referring to. And much of the Torah, much of the first five books of the Bible, there were encounters of, with God at Mount Gerizim. And so the people in Samaria, because it was an important mountain, they had chosen that mountain to worship God in. And so she's saying, listen, we like to worship at Mount Gerizim. Now Moses did and all these other, like all these other people did, all the patristic fathers, they worshiped at Mount Gerizim. But now y'all are saying that we're 
we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. She's she's asking about venue, time and place. Like, when should we have church service and where should it be? Where should we go to church, right? I don't want to talk about me anymore. Like, let's shift the focus, please. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, which by the way, that's cultural too. That is not the same thing as today. You tell a woman in your life, call her woman, and you'll be wearing your teeth around your neck. Um, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Do we worship at Mount Gerizim or do we worship at Mount Zion in Jerusalem? Neither. What? They had never heard this idea that there was a sea, none of the above. Right? What what does this mean? Jesus is getting into some very deep things with her. You'll neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus responds with relationship. Listen to verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Now, this is not a statement of pride that he is trying to show her that he knows his stuff. What he's not doing and what probably should be happening about now is neon arrows should be pointing to Jesus right as he says that. Like, salvation is from the Jews. It's me, right? Now, he doesn't say that. He's about to, but he doesn't say that. He is the point. Salvation came from the Jews. Jesus of the tribe of Judah, right? The house of David. He was the answer for all the world's problems. Salvation comes from the Jews by by birthright, right? By, By birth, salvation has come from the Jews. But verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the difference. New Testament worship doesn't just happen in the confines of a building or a place. New Testament worship isn't confined to a venue. It is within us. So wherever we go, true worshipers can worship. It's not in a destination. I, I, look, I'm happy if you feel like you're closer to God when you come into this church, but you are not. You're just as saved or as lost as you've ever been at this church. Because what Jesus wants to do in your life and in my life doesn't have anything to do with brick and mortar. It doesn't have anything to do with geography. It has everything to do with a heart transplant, with a heart change. What he wants to do in you in order to create worship of Yahweh God from you is he wants to change you from the inside out. God is spirit. 
And true worshipers won't worship at Mount Gerizim. They won't worship in Jerusalem. They won't worship at 19121 Sandlin Road. They will worship in spirit and in truth. That's what I'm doing. And it's a lot for her to process. You know how I know it? She moves on in the conversation. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. Man, you're, wow, that's a lot. The Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. I don't understand what you're talking about, mister. But one day the Messiah is going to come and he's going to explain all of this stuff that you're trying to explain to me that I ain't getting. He's going to explain it to us and it's going to be grand. And what does Jesus say? I who speak to you am he. Yeah, the ultimate mic drop. You're looking for the person that has all the answers. You're waiting on that person to come. I who speak to you am he. Boy, there's, there's a lot of people that I would talk to if I wanted to lead a movement. In Jesus' day, there were really important power brokers that Jesus could have talked to, and if he could have won them over to his side, there could have been some serious socioeconomic change in that day. But that's not who Jesus came to. Listen, even if I was going to the outcasts, right, going to, in that day, the Samaritans, I would still want to find the best Samaritan, right? The person that people would follow, that they would get behind, that had the charisma, that had just the it factor, right? And if I can win them, then I can win all the Samaritans, right? That's not what Jesus did. The offer of relationship, the first revelation of who God was with skin on, did not come to a Pharisee. It did not come to a king. It did not come to a ruler, religious or political. It came to a woman who had a past that God desired to use for his glory. Why? Because God doesn't operate the same way we do. He had to come to Samaria because God didn't just have a plan for this woman. He had a plan for every person that knew this woman. He desired to use her testimony to bring him glory. And we've got a similar case of that. Somebody in our church that wants to share their testimony with you. And we pray that it encourages you as well. I'm Jeannie Aldrich and this is my story. Early in my childhood, um, I had a mom. I was in the midst of several different marriages in her life. She was physically abused mentally abused by one of her husbands. Um, I also had a stepdad that did adopt me. However, he was one, along with the other men that she had married and dated, showed no kind of love and affection for what a child needs. In the midst of that, um, I ended up falling prey to what she had fallen into. I was hungry to find that love and that comfort. Um, 
that I never got from a father. In my teen years, I had uh, always dreamed of having the white picket fence and the husband and the happy marriage and everything just being comfortable, you know, great, and some, somebody I could love just as much as they could love me. I ended up falling in the same pattern as my mom, getting married first time, my, my husband had cheated on me and he was mentally abusive. My second one, he was a severe alcoholic to where he put our kids in danger. We tried marriage counseling, we tried everything to make everything work and it would not work. Literally, after we got divorced, I was broken. I was so broken. I was literally crawling up the stairs asking God to please just help me because I was dying inside. I said, who's gonna want me? with two different kids from two different dads. I mean, who is gonna possibly want me? But then after that, I, God come to me and I saw, I really realized that Jesus was there with me the whole time. I prayed that, that God, please give me somebody that'll love me just as much as I love them. And they gave me Tony, my husband. And so I thank God for him. I was longing for empty things. I was empty and I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't filled. And I realized that Jesus, God is the true living water and he's the one that could fill us completely. And so um, now I'm just more and more hungry for that. And he sees that you have a purpose. And so I realized that with that purpose, I can share that with other people. I can be a testimony to other people who have gone through the same things. No more shame, no more um, embarrassment to what you've gone through. My heart is, is I want to be there, a testimony to people to help them and realize that their love, I feel them, I have empathy for them, I understand what they're going through because I've been there, done that. If you have been through so much, you have that empathy and that mercy and grace for somebody else because you have been given that mercy and grace for somebody else. So Luke 7:47 tells us, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Love one another, be there for one another, support each other, love first and foremost. That's what God wants us to do, but serve and have mercy and grace on other people. Man, a story of a reversal of a generational curse. Man. This was the reality for my, my mom, and so it became my reality. Again, looking in all of these places. But then there was an encounter with Jesus. Then there was transformation that happened. You see, this woman had a need that produced a curiosity. The Samaritan woman had a hurt that required healing. Jesus identified, we live in a culture that doesn't want to hurt people. They don't want to tell the truth. So they tell some version of, version of the truth to make the truth sting less. But in so doing, we, we lessen the severity of what's going on. Jesus didn't have a problem putting his finger on the hurt that this young woman had. But he didn't stop there. In this world, I feel like we have people that avoid the truth altogether 
And then we have people that don't mind putting their fingers all up in the hurt, but they don't care what happens to the person after that. Look elsewhere for solution. But Jesus identified the hurt. He was truthful. And then he ministered to her hurt, even to the extent of revealing his divine identity to this woman. Because she had a story, and God was about to leverage it for incredible things. Let's look thirdly at the effect. John 4, 28 through 30. So the woman left her water jar. <laughs> Whole reason why she came, by the way. You know why she left it? She's coming back. She's going to be back. But she wasn't going to be alone. She had an encounter with Jesus, and the result was she was coming back, but she wasn't coming alone. And she went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I have ever done, all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Can you imagine how much this woman and her life leading up to this, how much this woman probably tried to hide her shame and her guilt, the things in her life that she didn't want anybody else to see. But you know what she didn't yell to these people? Hey, I've been married five times and the husband, the person I'm with now is not my husband. Come, let me show you Jesus who told me all of this. She didn't have to do that. She said, come and let me tell you, let me show you a man who told me everything I did. Did you know what that tells me? The people already knew. The reason she was an outcast is because everybody knew, oh gosh, here comes Sue or whatever her name is. If anybody's in Sue in here, I apologize. All right. God has a plan for you regardless of your past, okay? Sue or other named, right? God has a plan for you, right? And so think, and so he, there, there, here, here she comes. I, I can't believe she's showing her face here. She doesn't belong here. She needs to get out of here. I can't imagine how much she wished she could conceal what had happened in her past. But having an encounter, an engagement with Jesus, what was this woman's principal shame in life became the principal marketing and endorsement for the ministry of Jesus. Y'all obviously didn't hear me. What was that woman's greatest shame, her greatest uh, desire to hide away after having an encounter with Jesus, the point in her life of greatest shame was used by God. She used boldly to bring people to Jesus. That was her testimony. Come, let me show you a man. You know all the junk you've been talking about me behind my back? All the ways you feel this way or that way about me? Let me show you a man who's told me everything that I've ever done.
Every one of those people thought, dang, that's a lot. You he knew everything? <laughs> we got to see this guy. They had a curiosity. Je Jesus used this woman to bring them on the same, a need that created a curiosity to the same journey that she was on. God leveraged her greatest pain to be the greatest endorsement for his ministry. And I just want to hear, and so, so we, we're skipping some verses here. The disciples come back and they're like, hey, Jesus, what's up? Like expecting, did you take a nap? No, 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 no. I'm about to lead this entire region to Jesus, to me, right? I'm about to save everybody here. That's what's actually happened while you were getting vittles, right? Congratulations. You got biscuits and I am bringing salvation to an entire region. Um, they show up and Jesus launches into this monologue. They see him talking to the woman. They're blown away that he's talking to the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman leaves as she's going to get the crowds. Jesus is teaching them. In that teaching, he says, the fields are white for the harvest, but the laborers are few. And I picture him pointing at the entire crowd that is the inhabitants of Sychar that are coming to Jesus because the woman had a simple testimony. Look what I've tried to hide my whole life that now I am telling you is on full display for the world to see because a change has happened in me. This is the power of our testimony. Transformed lives lived to see transformed lives. If God has changed your heart, we live to see transformation in others. It's the point of greatest fulfillment for us. Listen to John 4, 39 through 42, and we'll be done. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that he ever did. Can I ask you a question? How many people have come to faith or at least have been confronted with the truth of a relationship with Jesus as a result of your testimony? How many times have you shared how Christ has changed your life and you have been able to be a part of the life transformation in others? Many believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They didn't need any other signs or wonders. If you knew everything that Sue did, again, sorry, Sue's of the world. If you knew everything that Sue did, then surely you must be the Messiah. You must be who you say you are, but that's not the end. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. So people came to Jesus because of her word, but people came to Jesus after that because of his word. So she, using her very meager, very hard to understand, very uh, simplistic mindset, let me just show you somebody who knows everything I've ever done. It's the only thing she knew to say. She couldn't engage them about Mount Gerizim and, and venues of worship and, and, how, and how God was going to move in their heart and their spirit, not in a place. She, she didn't probably even understand all of that. But she said, come and see. 
And God used that testimony to bring people to Jesus. And then God used her faithfulness to continue that relationship that brought other people to Jesus because of Jesus' faithfulness. God has enlisted us with an opportunity to use our story to bring people to him. We, and you may go, well, there's nothing special about my story. I don't know how God could use that. I'm sure the Samaritan woman thought the same thing. In fact, if anything, my, my, my past forfeits my testimony. But she did what she could do. And then God did what he could do. Many more believed because of his words. And this is why they believed. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. Boy, that's good, isn't it? I don't, I don't believe, listen, we don't bring people to Jesus. They don't get saved because of us. You don't save anybody, right? You just, you're just obedient. You just bring people to the feet of Jesus. He said, I, I don't believe because of what you've told us. We've heard it for ourselves and we know that that this is indeed the Savior of the world. God used a testimony to bring nearly the entire community around this woman to a relationship with himself. So yeah, the woman had a need that produced a curiosity. She had a hurt that required healing, but she had a hope. That included others. God's got a plan for us. If you have a relationship with him, God desires to use your story. To use it. Whatever that story is. Not for you. Not so that you can convince somebody, but that they can hear for themselves the transformation that happens when someone comes in relationship with Jesus. When someone has an encounter with him. Would you bow your head and you close your eyes? If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I want you to know that God is inviting you to begin your story, to begin your story with him. He has redeemed you. He has loved you. Oh, he's already, we've, we've talked about it in worship He's already initiated a relation. The story has begun. You're just not a part of it yet. And Jesus pursued us. He created us. He gave us the free will to choose. We chose sin. We broke ourselves. And then God provided his son to give us a way out of our brokenness so that we can know that we have a relationship with him. So if you're here and you want to be a part of that story, and I would pray that you would surrender your life to Christ today to give over the shame and the hurt of your past and surrender yourself wholly and completely to God. Let him take control. Let him take the will of your life and you would lead. Let Allow him to lead you wherever he would have you. But if you're here today and you know you have that relationship, God has called you to share that testimony. That's what this series is all about. God using our simple words, our simple stories, our simple pasts, our simple changes to bring others to him. Pray that we'd be bold in that. The Holy Spirit would embolden us to share, to make a difference, 
to invite, to bring someone else alongside, being afraid of what they find out about us, but declaring it boldly because there's something else that's happened in us. We have met with Jesus. Father, I pray that you would have your will and way in this place, in this time of response. If someone needs to receive you as Lord and Savior, pray they would do that today. Find me here at the front. We've got counselors, decision counselors. would love to talk to them about any decision they need to make. Pray for some that may need to just uh, align their heart and lives back to you. God, that you would use them to share with people that may you may even be laying on their heart right now to share their story with. I pray that they would, they would heed your word. I pray that they would listen, they would obey, and they would respond to your word. God, we thank you for allowing us to be part of what you're doing, your activity in this world. We love you, we celebrate that, and we pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives. In this time of invitation, we would respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can stand to your feet as we sing. This altar is open. We'd love for you to come pray. We'd love for you to come. And if you have any decision you need to make, we'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, But would you come and give the Holy Spirit room to work in your life as we sing?